0: Hello there, and welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers, the podcast devoted to exploring the frontiers of psychedelic medicine and what it takes to cultivate a healthy mind, body, and spirit. I'm clinical psychologist, Dr. Steve Thayer, and today my co-host, Dr. Reed Robinson, and I are joined for the second time by Hannah Cross. Hannah is a licensed clinical social worker, therapist, Reiki master, yoga teacher, and all-around awesome person. In this episode, Hannah helps us explore psycho-spiritual emergencies, or simply spiritual emergencies. We talk about what they are, how to navigate them, and we share some experiences with such emergencies. Um, We share some personal stuff, some clinical experiences. Hope you find it interesting. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Welcome back to Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. I am Dr. Steve Thayer, joined by my co-host Dr. Reed Robinson. Hello. Hi Reed.
1: How's it going? Oh, so good.
0: And we are joined again for the second time by Hannah Cross. Hannah, do you want to introduce yourself to the folks who may not have seen your other episode?
2: Sure. So my name is Hannah Cross. I'm a LCSW and therapist. I work with this awesome Nova Mind crew at a couple of our locations.
0: Awesome. We are thrilled to have Hannah here today to discuss psycho spiritual emergencies. This is a topic that's near and dear to my heart as a person who has had one or two of such (laughs) emergencies in his life. But, um, I thought it might be fun to just start with what the hell is a psycho-spiritual emergency?
2: Can we do a disclaimer first? I guess. Okay. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think that we should do a disclaimer because this idea requires that one really expand their view of mental, um, health. Mm. From what we normally think about in psychiatry to include the unconscious mind, spiritual realms, the transpersonal realms, and deeper layers of the psyche. So I just, I think that might be a good way to start too. I Asking agree. all the listeners yeah. to expand a little bit.
1: Be open-minded, be receptive. They did not teach me this in psychiatry residency. Mm-hmm. Right. For, for a number of reasons, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it does kind of blow the lid off of conventional thinking in what we feel is a really good way.
0: It's one of the reasons why I've been drawn to psychedelic medicine as a, as a psychologist, as somebody who's trained in a Western um, scientist practitioner model is it seems like it's one way to try to bring the spiritual and we'll talk more about what we mean by spiritual, but um, back into the the study of the human mind and um, not only the study of the phenomenon that are contained within the human mind, but also how to heal it when
1: it goes Mm awry. Yep. Freud threw the spiritual baby out with the bathwater, didn't he? We're bringing it back. Bring it back, baby.
0: All that that lovely bathwater.
1: I mean, that was the era, like we've talked about before. Carl Rogers Mm -hmm. couldn't say love or didn't feel like he could, so it was unconditional positive regard.
0: Yeah, I think I remarked before, like... (laughs) leave it up to a psychologist to come up with a a wordy three-term phrase to describe something that you can describe in one word.
1: Psycho-spiritual emergency, I think is a fun term for whatever reason. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: So thank you for the disclaimer, Hannah makes a lot of sense. Encourage our audience to open up their minds for this episode. And I think a lot of people are going to relate and um, hopefully we'll help them out. So what is it Folks, a psycho-spiritual emergency. What are we talking about?
1: Do You want to go first, Hannah? Sure, I'll yeah. go first.
2: Um, so I think that there are two different kinds of psycho-spiritual emergencies. I typically just use spiritual emergency, so yeah. I may do that. In this you don't like episode. the psycho word?
0: <laughs> we're not <laughs> talking know. about. We're not <laughs> talking about psychosis necessarily right. when we're saying which psycho- we should spiritual. differentiate
2: later. But um, yeah, I think there are spiritual emergencies that occur. When somebody has accessed a lot of unconscious material, usually suddenly, there's been this kind of balance shift between what they usually access in their conscious awareness and then what's lying in the unconscious psyche. And then there's a crisis because of that, because that can be really overwhelming to somebody's system. Um, And I think that there's another kind of spiritual emergency That, you know, maybe in, like, Christianity, they would have referred to it as the dark night of the soul, this Mm. kind of spiritual emergency that's the result of this thirst for um, a spiritual connection Mm. or a thirst for something, you know, that may not even be, like, conscious. It usually feels like meaninglessness, depression, a lack of purpose and meaning. Emptiness,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm. Hitting rock bottom, perhaps.
2: Yeah. Uh.
0: It's a lack of purpose, meaning, and connectedness to something bigger. Because I'm trying to think of ways to define spirituality or uh, a spiritual pursuit that doesn't necessarily involve um, adherence to a religious ideology or membership in a particular religious group. It can, for sure, right? Uh, Many human beings on this planet, maybe even most, would say that they uh, are part of some kind of religion or believe in a a
1: certain type of a deity. But is there another way to define spirituality? Sure. And what what would happen if you swapped out the term with transpersonal? I know we Mm -hmm. need to define that Mm. for many people, but would that change the dynamic much
2: for you? I think so. I think the spiritual path maybe could refer to just anyone who... Um, is interested in accessing information beyond the normal sense of self or identity. Hmm. So we could maybe say the unconscious realms of the psyche.
1: And spiritual path just meaning um, your progression through this life and transpersonal being anything bigger than oneself. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, connection to... so. And maybe this all fits with what you folks are talking about. But when I think of spiritual, I think of connection to purpose and meaning, like you were talking about with reference to the emergency being a disconnect or a lack of connection to meaning and purpose. Um, So a connection to uh, a greater purpose than just who I am. Um, which is different than the the concept I grew up with. When I thought of the word spiritual growing up, I I grew up, I was raised in the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or the Mormon church. When I thought of spiritual, a lot of times I thought of my spirit, which was my essence that has existed for eternity, that was housed in this corporeal form, this meat puppet that it animated and it would persist after I died and it could commune with God. So there's kind of this mystical, um, metaphysical idea of what a spirit is. Mm -hmm. There's a spirit world, a spiritual realm. Um, and now when I think about it, it's more like I was talking about it's spiritual is a path that you walk. It's a connection to purpose and meaning. And so maybe it's transpersonal in that way. Reed, what, what are you thinking about when you're saying transpersonal?
1: Well, we like the transpersonal word around here in psychedelic therapies and Mm -hmm. just something, um, bigger than one's self or ego, a connection to higher purposes or that supreme self or whatever it may be. But uh, I'm thinking about like in uh, Zen circles, you might call it an awakening. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. In non-spiritual circles, you might call it an existential crisis. Right? I know there there might be subtle nuances or big ones we could debate, but I think it's all talking about a very similar thing. Mm-hmm. You know, a great shake up mm-hmm. of your life.
2: Yep. Um do are either of you familiar with a course in miracles? i mm-hmm. I'm so, not. So, I mean, it's a course of you could call it spiritual study. Um I think it actually, I've kind of been thinking about this, I think it facilitates this kind of spiritual emergency. Because one of the first things that you do as you're going through the lessons, and there's 365, is you look around the room and you say, nothing in this room means anything. Mm -hmm. So essentially what you're doing is you're undoing the meaning that you've given everything, including yourself, Mm -hmm. and probably most importantly, yourself. So in a way, it kind of does what a spiritual emergency does, you know, this meaninglessness. um, But it's gentler, you know, it's a loving approach. Where I think some people experiencing a a spiritual emergency have this rude awakening of what I thought I meant is not what I thought, and that can be pretty scary.
1: Yeah, I like that. It's like a kundalini class might lead to someone's kundalini rising or awakening, or. the ta- you're reading the Tao Te Ching and there's 81 passages and there are these paradoxes like that that just kind of shake you awake. They're shocking, they're perplexing that uh, kind of wakes you up. Mm-hmm. So you have to pass through, it, it's a, it's an invitation,
0: a gentle invitation into the dark night of the soul <laughs> as yeah. opposed to being ambushed by it mm-hmm. through some mm-hmm.
1: kind of hardship. or mm-hmm. Maybe like ketamine versus ayahuasca.
2: Yep. Yep. Because psychedelics can serve that purpose too. Yeah. Yep. Let's shake you out of what you thought you meant, what you thought the world meant, give you a different perspective. And then maybe you can remember or reconnect to something a little closer to what you really are, Hmm. the transpersonal.
1: It's also the shamanic path, like whether you get struck by lightning or have a serious illness on the brink of Ceasing to exist or, you know, have a, a psychotic break that you might hear about in some like kind of shaman's history um, leading to this expanded state of consciousness afterwards. I mean, I, I really see it as a, a transformative process with healing, expanding potential mm-hmm. that uh, shows up in a lot of different ways. Healing, expanding potential.
0: So it's not by by definition exclusively healing or expanding. Like you can have a spiritual emergency that doesn't go well.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right? It probably happens more often than it, <laughs> it, it receives the support and guidance that it needs, the whole spiritual emergency. Because we don't have a lot of institutions around designed to help people deal with spiritual emergencies. Mm-hmm. At least not here.
0: Yeah. I mean, if I wanted to get real cynical and and critical of our own profession, sometimes people come to us and they want to feel better, right? Maybe they don't have a ton of insight into maybe the fact that they're in a spiritual emergency. And so, and we might, if we aren't sensitive to that, be focused on just helping them Mm -hmm. feel better. And that might mean here's a benzodiazepine. That might mean, uh, have you tried um, journaling, <laughs> like from mm-hmm. a therapist' perspective, like, well, have you? Maybe you should go on some walks and find a food that you like. W- ways to sort of quote unquote feel better, mm-hmm. but in so doing, we're we're distracting from the the potential for healing that they need to pass through the refiner's fire in order to be come to come out on the other side tempered. Yes, yeah.
2: just that perspective of this difficult thing I'm going through right now is a spiritual emergency can be really helpful, Mm. right? Let's say, you know, we have some heightened anxiety and our sense of meaning feels off for a little while. Um, Bringing this idea, oh, this could be an emergence, right? Because that's what makes up the word emergency. This could be an emergence for me. Mm. There's a difficult time happening right now, but on the other side of this may be something, you know, really remarkable in terms of my spiritual growth.
1: Yeah, that's a good point, that word Emergence at the root of emergency is kind of why I like it, even though it's, yeah, it can be a a crisis situation for some, but that emergency Latin root of like coming to the surface or moving forward, it's like a progression. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it, it seems to show up, sometimes when the expansion inside, the consciousness expansion or arising is too great for your inner space to hold. The container like starts to crack or burst or blow.
2: Yep.
0: Too much for the container to hold. So what does that feel like? You know, we have people listening (laughs) wondering, have I ever been through one of these spiritual emergencies that they're talking
2: about? It would be good for us to maybe go through some examples. Yeah. Yeah, I I have one that comes to mind that's a personal one. Um, I'm a Reiki master. I was attuned um, two different times. Um, Reiki is an energy healing technique, um, ancient, out of Japan. Anyway, after my second attunements, and these were my Karuna attunements, um, Karuna meaning compassion or loving kindness in the face of suffering, I didn't sleep. I didn't sleep Mm -hmm. for like four months. And it wasn't like I didn't need the sleep. I needed it. I was really tired, but I just had all of this energy inside of me that kept me awake. Mm. It was absolutely a crisis. Mm -hmm. And at the time, I'll admit, I didn't actually even call it a spiritual emergency. I wish I kind of knew what I know now about the transpersonal back then. Um, I wondered what was wrong with me, you know? Yeah. There was too much transpersonal in the container that I had.
0: So, ener- you said it was like too much energy. You weren't sleeping. Um, did you feel anxious? Did you feel uneasy?
2: Th- yes, all of the above.
0: Yeah, this wasn't a, this wasn't like a pleasant hypomania that you were like really productive. Oh, growing <laughs> pains. Yeah, yeah, it was
2: growing pains. It was a miserable like four months. Mm, mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that meaning that you can attach to it by just the perspective of this is my waking up process, or this is on the other side of this is an expanded state of consciousness, a, a healed parts of myself for a new chapter.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, that, that knowing that awareness is probably everything. I'm, I'm just thinking about pain in context yeah. is everything. Uh-huh. If I, yeah. if I'm, you know, bench pressing because I want stronger muscles and big sexy pecs, then the pain that I'm experiencing from the bench press, I, I might even enjoy. I might want the pain, right? No pain, no gain. But if my chest just hurt while watching TV, <laughs> mm-hmm. the same way it hurts while bench pressing, I might
1: be suffering a lot. Like, how can I stop this? Somebody- a Heart attack evaluation. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah and, and these things can show up like that. A spiritual emergency, psycho-spiritual emergency might feel like or look like a heart attack, or a seizure, insomnia, or any number of of other things it might be an, a deep, dark bout of depression. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and so you mentioned the Reiki, and we share an interest in the yoga approaches as well. It reminds me of when I was um, deep in the Ashtanga yoga lineage, practicing Mysore style every morning where you work through these series, like you start with primary series, which is uh, called Yoga Chikitsa, Yoga Therapy. It's like this washing machine for your mind and body to get you ready for the next series, second series. And you have a one-on-one instructor, and they essentially grant you poses as you're ready, kind of like maybe Bruce Lee style. You're practicing something a million times until you you've got it. And then you go on to the next. And in second series, I remember the disclaimer they gave me as I was starting this practice. They're like, okay, uh, after you do second series, which you would do usually like in its full form once a week or so, and you're working on it other days, but they're like, don't fly on a plane after this. Don't be surprised if you can't sleep and, um, be really careful with other things that might increase your energy. Um, And uh, all these like um, disclaimers about the awakening that might happen through the process. And it's interesting, looking at the sequence of poses, this age-old practice, they would start by uh, kind of bending and moving in a way that would focus on the base of the spine. It's this idea, second series is this, based on this idea of um, the central channel of energy and the dormant kind of kundalini energy at the base of the spine that would awaken through the practice and end up kind of blasting out of your crown chakra. So you'd bend in in such a way that you're moving the energy up, like backbending, heart opening, putting a leg behind your head, and then eventually you're flipping yourself upside down into these headstands. And then at the end of the practice, it's this progression of like opening up, Uh, symbolically and maybe literally this energetic connection with you and, you know, and everything else in the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so is that what it felt like? You felt uh, energized, like
0: the
1: force was strong with you and all that stuff? (laughs) You know, there, there was definitely an energy to it. Like I remember um, sitting there as I'd approached some of these poses and this is different for everyone, but um, like certain back backbends, um, you'd think I'd go full force into and be like, yeah, bring it on. This feels awesome. But I remember like these, this big hesitation of mm. uh, it's my body is scared to go mm-hmm. there, even though I'm like, yeah, this is good stuff. Bring it on. Um, but, uh, you know, it's a matter of how sensitive you are too, to the subtle energies in the body. And I certainly didn't obey literally, um, don't go on an airplane after this, but I could see how some people, um, would or, or should be extra cautious or they'd, they'd, uh, yeah, they'd give those disclaimers for a reason. But in our Western culture, we're often disconnected from a lot of that, or we don't believe it or we numb it out or we take a sleeping pill.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, speaking of yoga, I think hot yoga can be like a mini spiritual emergency every time you go because <laughs> sometimes you feel like you're going to die. I've had yeah. plenty of times in that room where I actually ask myself, like, am I going to die today in here? Oh, wow. Like it gets <laughs> really hot. Your heart rate gets off the charts. and Like don't leave the room. It's so hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they won't let you leave the room, you know. But that's why. That's also why we get addicted. It's like you go and a piece of you dies in there. Like you kind of confront death,
1: Shavasana. get
2: annihilated, <laughs> and then, you know, and this is something that probably can't be put into words, but the way that you feel after you die is it's like being reborn, right? So you leave there and something shifts about your perception. Things just look a little bit lighter. You just feel a little more grateful for the people in your life.
0: Mm-hmm it's the same way people are when they have near death experiences mm-hmm. many people at least right they mm-hmm. they come back with a new perspective a reborn a refreshed perspective and a lot of times that refreshed perspective is one where they are focusing on relationships right yeah. they're um they're focusing on connection and less on accumulation of goods or Uh, so it sounds like there are some qualities of a spiritual emergency that you see in a variety of types, um, whether it's brought on by hot yoga or by actually almost dying or an ayahuasca ceremony or, you know, a crisis of religious faith. Um, there's some, there's a signature to it. And um, there's, as Reed said, a great potential for transformation and healing.
2: And so that signature may be like an annihilation of some kind. It reminds me of that, this Pemetrodron c- quote that says um, The extent to which man um, exposes himself to annihilation over and over again, only to that extent does that which is indestructible in him arise. Mm. And I yeah. like I love that right. Just these many deaths, as much as we can go through that in our life. If you want to embark on the spiritual path, if not, like yeah. I understand that. You know? Yeah, and she's, but um, she's brilliant. Yeah. Yep.
1: And there's a book that Pema Chodron wrote called "When Things Fall Apart." Mm-hmm. That, uh, that is book. a really good one too. But I love that quote.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So these many deaths, you discover what's indestructible inside of you. I mentioned the. Re- refiner's fire. I like that metaphor too. like, <clears throat> to you, you get purified by going through the, the heat. Of yeah. The fire.
2: Oh yeah. I love that. That's actually, I have this tattoo here that says transmute, mm-hmm. which cool. is like, you know, turning metal to gold through po- a little bit of fire, a little mm-hmm. bit of destruction, plus sprinkle some grace on there. Mm. You know, um, you mentioned near death experiences. I think that's a good one. And, um, I think my, like, most profound spiritual emergency in my own life involved a near-death experience. Um, It started when I was probably like 17 and really manifested a severe depression, which then turned into addiction. And um, I know I was thirsty during that time for something, like Mm. something more than what I was experiencing. And I overdosed Mm. and actually um, was conscious enough to know that I was dying in that moment. Wow. I was like I'm, I'm gonna die right now. But that was all that it took, and then it was a spiritual path from that moment mm. forward. You know, and that's one reason why I think addiction can be classified as a spiritual emergency. Is the solution is spiritual for most people, mm. right? Yeah, that's kind of what's missing. There's this hole, this emptiness, this lack of connection, and some kind of spiritual solution is what most people find helps them.
1: Your story, by the way, is uh, powerful. I didn't know that. Thank you.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and it's I don't think it's an accident that the, you know, that the Alcoholics Anonymous model that's been applied to different, you know, issues um apart from just alcohol, ha- I don't think it's an accident that it has a spiritual component. And <clears throat> it is spiritual. It doesn't have to be God. They talk mm-hmm. about surrendering to a higher power or higher self or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, The final
2: step does start with though having had a spiritual awakening. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And then yeah. we essentially decided to help other people have the same. as that final step?
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, that's where uh, LSD research kind of originated. Yeah. A couple psychiatrists, Humph- Humphrey Osmond was one of them, sitting at a dinner table late at night at a conference talking about this curious medicine that uh, Sandoz Laboratories was like shipping off to Uh, therapists, psychiatrists all over saying, try this in therapy. It was used for two things initially, like um, a model of psychosis and two is a therapy aid maybe. And so they were like, this makes people psychotic. We work with people with alcohol dependence. And at first it was kind of laughable to them. Like what if we could give this medicine to occasion a psychotic episode to help our clients break free of their this cycle of addiction. And they're like, ah, that's ridiculous. That would never fly. Or they'd never let us do that. But then they were like, wait a second. Maybe we could. Maybe we should. And then they went on to treat like two thousand um, alcoholics with LSD across these uh, you know, a few little centers in Canada and like and just had phenomenally better results than treatment as usual with lsd by getting people into this this experience of a great shakeup, or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um like a occasion a psycho-spiritual emergence of a new era in their lives
0: mm-hmm. yeah Humphrey osmond didn't isn't he the one that coined the term psychedelic I remember uh, there was was an exchange between him and Aldis, I think it was Aldis Huxley, Mm -hmm. and Huxley wanted to call it uh, "Phanerothyme" or something like that, and they had this funny exchange with these limericks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, to uh, something something sublime. Take a pinch of psychedelic, yeah.
0: Yeah, to something something angelic, take a pinch of psychedelic, and then... The Phanerothymne one was like, to I forget something, something sublime. Yeah. Try you some Phanerothymne. <laughs> <laughs> I don't remember what it was. Yeah, Pioneers in the Space. And mm-hmm. I think uh, there was a pitch to make LSD like part of the protocol for AA because of that early yeah. research. Right? Yeah. Bill, yep. Bill
1: Richards was Richards. one of the people that helped, the f- uh, founder of AA. Bill Wilson. Wilson. Oh, sorry, yeah. yeah. Not Bill Richards. Sorry, Bill Richards, <laughs> of the Bill Richards Healing Center for Excellence. <laughs> <Yes>.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: All right, so it shows up in many ways. We've talked about what it is. Um, what do you do with
0: it? How do you navigate it? Ooh. How do you navigate it? Well, I, I think about my own... Spiritual emergencies. I mentioned that I was raised in the in the Mormon Church, and I've I've since departed that religion and have found my own particular path. But um, as anybody who's raised in a high demand religion that has a lot to do with your own personal identity knows, um, leaving a religion like that can be a, a well, really difficult. Let's say, it. let's yeah. put it that way, um, and it can be traumatic in in other ways. So, you know, I was raised in that church. Um, I served two years as a full-time proselyting missionary for that church and went around knocking on doors. And it was about halfway through that mission experience that I was confronted with some information that caused me to question my religious faith for the first time, really, in my life. I had uh, always just assumed, taking it at face value because I was raised with it, that it was the real deal. And, uh, you know, want to be sensitive to anybody listening that, uh, might be a member of that church. I'm, I'm not claiming I know all the answers. It just, it just didn't work for me. Um, but because it was so wrapped up in my identity or my identity was so wrapped up in it, uh, the idea that it might not be true was completely, it was an existential crisis for me, for sure. That I suddenly I went from knowing the answer to most existential thinking. I knew the answers to most existential questions to now knowing nothing. Like I didn't even know if God existed. I didn't even know mm-hmm. if these feelings I had felt that I thought were from what I assumed was the Holy Spirit were just now constructions of my own uh, creative diseased mind. Or, you know, I used to believe in the devil. Do I not believe in the devil anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, not to not to turn this into Steve's Exodus from the Church show, but I I uh, it took a long time for me to figure out my own path. And what helped me was kind of like we were talking about before it was to hold myself in this open wide container of compassion and uh, not have a moratorium on truth. Like I I wasn't going to foreclose on truth without first doing a lot of study talking to a lot of different people, and absorbing a diversity of opinions before I made any decisions on sort of existential truths like whether or not there was a god or the nature of god or mm-hmm. what my purpose was or who I am at my core, um, and I, I look at that as a as a path like we've talked about a spiritual path. Now it's not a spiritual destination. I don't think I'll ever arrive at um, at a, a level of confidence and assurance that I felt like I had back before my spiritual crisis, but I, I feel as a path walker, more peace, more at peace mm-hmm. and more settled than I did as a, uh, proselyter
1: of a assured doctrine. Mm-hmm. So for you, there was something more peaceful and harmonious on the other side of that great shakeup. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: And but it sounds it painful like as hell.
2: It was compassion holding yourself in that compassion and openness that helped you navigate that.
0: I think so. Yeah. Among yeah. other things.
2: Mm-hmm. What other things?
0: Support. Mm-hmm. Not, not doing it alone. Yeah. You know, I, I was, I, there were some podcasts that I listened to, um, that were for people like me. They were podcasts. Uh, Mormon stories was one of them. Mm-hmm. Mormon expressions was another, uh, so, John DeLynn and John Larson, the hosts of those podcasts at the time, and um, didn't love everything about those podcasts, but there were, there were people who were going through the same things I was going mm-hmm. through talking about their journey. So, knowing that I wasn't crazy, that I wasn't yeah. alone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then meeting some people locally, making some friends who, uh, and having a community around me going through similar things was everything.
1: Yeah. Cause that's a huge part of it. If you look at someone in the middle of a psychospiritual crisis in mm-hmm. their life, um, I see two main things that are distressing, like the feeling that I'm alone in this and no one knows how I feel. Mm-hmm. And second, it'll never get better. Yes. You know, we talked about the meaning that helps pull you through to the other side um, for that um Feeling that it's never going to get better, but the feeling that I'm alone in it can be so immediately addressed by those supports Mm -hmm. you talked about, whether they're among your loved ones or community or even uh, connecting in with people in far off places these days.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the validating supports, too, that are not going to pathologize whatever it is that you're experiencing. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and to have people... Who, um, like within the church, who didn't necessarily share my concerns or my doubts, who were also there with love and support. I think that was equally as important to me as having people who were on, you know, going through the same process Mm -hmm. that I was going through. Like to have love and understanding from people on the outside equally as important.
2: Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just empathizing that that must have sent this message of like, you're safe. Mm -hmm. You're safe to explore this to be curious about it, to not try to shut down your doubts.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Being shut down and shame. I think those things are, uh, they they would make passage through the refiner's fire, passage through the dark night of the soul and navigating the spiritual emergency. Really, really difficult. Um, and so it makes me curious about your story to the extent that you're willing to share it, Hannah, with um, your overdose. You mentioned a spiritual path being the path you took out of that, um, was there moments of like shame and self-recrimination that you had to navigate?
2: Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, personally, Mm -hmm. I, like you described immediately walked into a lot of love and support from other people. Mm. Um, I think what I eventually had to learn to do though, was to realize that they don't, love me for no reason and I am worthy of their love and then begin to love myself. But yeah, that was definitely a part of the process. Oh, yeah, mm-hmm.
0: That's a big step, isn't it? To go from just sort of, yeah, they love me, but they don't really know the real me. And mm-hmm. I'm, I'm actually a big pile of horse shit, but yeah, uh, right. to move from that, to like trusting their love, mm-hmm. that it means something about you and that you are, what it means about you is that you're worthy of it.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, and then trusting self. It's mm. a whole other stage that's mm-hmm. been in there. Yeah. So we have, you know, support. Um, I want to throw safety in there too. Mm -hmm. Like, spiritual emergencies can feel so untethering, like what you once had as your foundation is now gone. And that can be really scary. Um, So things like grounding practices. Mm -hmm. And then of course, the safety that we find in other people but yeah. I think I think finding some safety in the midst of that is really important.
1: when uh, I probably told this story before in some form or another, but when I first went out to help at uh, ayahuasca ceremonies as both medical director and and one of the therapists, uh, they wanted me to bring medical supplies, so I show up with like my bag full of everything um, defibrillator and you know first aid, uh, and a pile of antipsychotics just in case. And, you know, not that I was planning to dish them out or anything, but I just loved how when I got there, the medicine team, meaning the shaman medicine team was like, Oh, you're not going to need those. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't, we don't, uh, knock that stuff down. And they told me a story of what just happened the year prior when, uh, a lady mid ceremony had, a, a crisis and ran off, and it, it looked by Western definitions like a psychotic break. And uh, maybe we should get into some of the distinctions in a minute, but, um, but what they did next really I found quite impressive. I'll never forget, and it shapes how I practice to this day. Um, they took a team of four, Because this wasn't going away. The next day, the next day. And she was having a crisis that looked like agitated psychosis. They got a little house in the jungle to hold space for her, Mm -hmm. hold safe space. And for the next two weeks, they proceeded to take shifts. They even had a, a doctor from a nearby Ibogaine clinic come and check in on things to make sure. Their safety, those basic needs are taken care of and they let this awakening run its course mm-hmm. in a very dramatic very difficult to hold way and uh after she got through that um she was um a better human before because of it and even even asked to come back to do more ayahuasca they're like oh we don't know about that but uh, <laughs> but it was really impressive and then since then I've I've dug into as much of the literature as I can and realizing that, you know, when we swat away um, or numb out these things with our fancy Western tools, mm-hmm. it may not be the best approach. And and I've even looked at some of the data showing how when people let something, some panic or psychotic or manic episode at least run its course in a reasonable way, the recurrence of those things seems to be
2: less. hmm Yeah. So supported through completion is an important aspect of this. I do know that holotropic breathwork is used um, to help someone engage in their emergence, right? So maybe it's presenting like a crisis, but it can be a way to really turn towards the crisis and move some of the energies that are presenting through to completion. Mm -hmm.
1: That practice has kind of blown my mind when I've um participated in it and helped out with it. I'm always to this day blown away by how much it brings up in people.
2: Mm-hmm. I know.
1: By doing a breathing practice. Like I remember being at a a breathwork circle and uh needing to uh kind of leave it as a participant, participant and go out um in the studio where it was happening and help people cuz there were folks who were just dealing with crisis, uh, even questioning like being alive or having like their reality shattered for a minute and needing to help uh, hold space for them Mm -hmm. in that way. And I was just, uh, I was blown away that it could bring it up that significantly in in a bunch of people.
2: Yeah. I recently did a holotropic breathwork workshop with Like my community that I really love, it was super powerful. I have a little theory. This is totally made up by me. I've never heard anyone else say this, but I kind of feel like it's so powerful and allows you to access a lot of repressed material because it's your breath. And so there's this like Mm -hmm. element of I'm in power right now. And it helped me go to a lot of the powerless traumas that I've never been able to access before because I had yeah. the power to go there. It was really cool.
1: <laughs> I like that because this is your life force, your prana. The one thing that, well, gives you life, right? Your breath that you can take conscious control of or you can let you know, your subconscious take control of. And then when you harness that, it's almost like it seems similar to the like the tantric and kundalini ideas of tapping into some of these most uh, powerful forces, like the creative sexual energies mm-hmm. and others that can also be the trigger for some of these kinds of awakening.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely.
1: Oh, I like. I think you're on to something.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Seems like
1: there can be this <clears throat> quality of chaos of
0: uh, a chaotic nature to a yeah. psycho spiritual or spiritual emergency that would frighten some more than others. (laughs) People who haven't, and we've talked about on the podcast before, read this, uh, this, the spectrum, this sort of entropic brain and um, over the spectrum of over control to to under control. And people who are on that over control side of the spectrum who really like predictability, really like order somebody with like a obsessive compulsive personality. Um, That feeling of chaos, I think is probably more unnerving for a person like that. Than a person who, you know, loves a little bit of chaos in their life,
2: mm-hmm. okay.
0: and they might need more grounding uh, techniques, like Hannah was referring to, than others. So it it would be, I guess, what I'm meandering to is the point that um, it would be important to know your personality style and the kinds of things that uh, that help <clears throat> you navigate distressing circumstances in a lot of walks of life, but still I the, the, the chaotic nature of a, of a spiritual emergency is, is such that the tools that you may be brought to the emergency are insufficient, which is why something like social support or a therapist or a guide or a spiritual teacher are such important resources. And community. Like, I envy the two of you with your, your yoga communities. They seem like really cool communities. <laughs> yeah. You're,
2: you're invited. They're home. Yeah. <laughs> come anytime.
0: <laughs> I keep thinking about it. There's a yoga studio near my near my house. I told my wife the other day, like, I think I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go in there and do yoga.
1: Look like a we can <laughs> see where he is on these stages of change. I know.
2: Do we need to do some yoga exposure? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Contemplation. You guys no. need to do a, a kundalini intervention. I don't know if I'm using these words right. You'll have to correct me. But Hey, I, I don't know if that's a thing, but it should be. It should be. <laughs> yeah.
2: Here in clinic. So <laughs> it,
1: it brings up a question. Do you try to bring these states about mm. in mm. therapy? Um, is that what we're doing in psychedelic therapy mm-hmm. is one question. And, um, and what if someone has it easy peasy and they're like, uh-oh, do I need a? Yeah. A psychospiritual emergency.
2: Isn't that such a great question? I mean, mm-hmm. it really is because there's a time and a person, and a place, and there's certainly yeah, there's a there's a person, right? Like, there, it's <laughs> not for everybody, and there has to there has to be a lot of integration around. Yeah. yeah. So if
0: I'm a person who just has kind of a nagging feeling of disconnection, or um, you know. A, a dearth of meaning in my life. Do I go hunt down a spiritual emergency? And I, in some ways I think like the people who go mm-hmm. in this, this like the ayahuasca tourism that's happening now. And everybody from Austin goes down to the jungle and gets their ayahuasca, mm-hmm. you know, du jour. I, I think that's part of what they're doing they They have a, they have a sort of a slight nag and they go down there looking for mm-hmm. a big, uh, a big change. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah I think the short answer is yes with psychedelic medicine we're
1: we're hoping to to stir things up mm-hmm. occasion a mystical experience sure. or a difficult one like we just to our group of uh of folks in our ketamine therapy this morning mm-hmm. afterwards we gave them the mystical experience questionnaire the m e q thirty and the emotional breakthrough inventory. Because we know from the data, from, you know, the field that these are both predictors of transformational change. It's when you have a mystical experience and especially when you went through that dark night of the soul and made it to the other side.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and uh, we give those questionnaires because they've been used in research before and the, and the data has connected um, this emotional breakthrough or mystical experience to positive change
1: long term. But you don't have to have the same dark night of the soul as someone else or your dharma, your path, um, your way up the mountain look probably looks very different than someone else's. And it doesn't have to, you know, have the same kind of awakening.
0: <laughs> yeah. And not not every psychedelic medicine treatment is going to be a dark night of the soul either. And um, it can still be very helpful in healing without having to pass through the refiner's fire,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I think. As we wind down, any other final thoughts about spiritual emergencies or how to navigate them that you think might be useful for our our audience?
1: So the question often comes up when talking about this is, what's the difference between this and psychosis? Oh yeah, we Mm -hmm. bookmarked that and didn't come back to it. And, uh, you know, I don't have the answers. I don't pretend to. One way I look at it is, uh, is that healing potential? Um, cause yeah, there is a biologically genetically based, um, psychotic illness that can show up for 1% of the population. And, uh, you know, is, is a really, um, it's important to not dismiss those because they might be in need of some serious intervention, <laughs> like even antipsychotics. Like I'm one to embrace both tools and try the best we can to um, differentiate or, or really understand what's underneath this. And one way I'll try to get at that is um, just looking at does this um, really have the potential to end up in that healed and expanded place or is it a downward spiral that is really, um, doing irreparable damage to someone's life or getting them stuck in a, you know, a very difficult situation in need of intervention. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) There's a difference between bouncing off rock bottom and then, you know, having a new trajectory upward versus hitting rock bottom and making a home there, like setting up a tent and living down there or, uh, crashing and shattering against rock bottom. Yeah. So if if we get the sense that this is a, if I'm hearing you right, Reed, an opportunity for growth and expansion, then we, we want to ask, help them mm-hmm. go through, not away. Um, but sometimes if it, they just have neurocognitive decline and they have a brain disease, we want to treat it with the best yeah. Western medicine we have.
1: Yeah, and which I'll do. I'll try to um, keep a very open mind to both. Like, Mm -hmm. is this a psycho-spiritual emergency? Is it a psychotic episode? Mm -hmm. And what, what is the, uh, you know, the least drastic intervention we can do to keep someone safe and progressing towards wholeness and health? Um, while we figure this out with them,
2: Yeah, I like that because you're not really necessarily judging or interpreting what it is. You're just looking at the goal and like looking at what, how it's manifesting in the present and is there safety there or not.
0: Any final thoughts, Hannah, before we wrap up?
2: What We didn't talk about Carl Jung. I feel like Mm -hmm. we maybe should have talked about him a little.
0: (laughs) We can't go an episode without talking about Carl
2: Jung. (laughs) Do you you usually end up doing that? No, I'm just
0: teasing. We do love love Jung,
2: though. I mean, he's just a perfect example of what a psycho-spiritual emergency is, right? Mm -hmm. Like, he probably didn't know if he was having an emergency or if Mm -hmm. it was psychosis. But what he got out of it was this beautiful red book, plus all of this amazing psychology from his encounters with the unconscious mind that was the only thing that i thought oh that that was a bullet point that we probably should have touched on was his own emergency which Mm -hmm. has really benefited us all
1: it's fascinating to read works Mm -hmm. from him in that time and also to see how it's um entered the fabric of our society in so many ways and the terms we use of the collective unconscious and the synchronicities and shadow work Yeah. yeah Shadow work is the path of the heart warrior, said Carl Jung.
2: Yeah. So the healing potential wasn't only for him, but it was for all of us, like years later.
1: The collective.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, he came back from his shadow world with gifts. Right. (laughs) For all of us.
2: And that's the whole hero's journey that is behind the spiritual emergency when supported.
1: We'll have to follow this up with the hero's journey Episode. Yeah. We've
0: been talking about doing that for one for a while.
2: That'd be a really good one. Well, Hannah,
0: thank you so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers. Good convo. Yeah, thank you both. Until next time. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. It means a lot to me. Psychedelic Therapy Frontiers is brought to you by Novamind, a mental health company that specializes in psychedelic medicine and research. You can learn more about Novamind's mission to increase access to legal, safe, and evidence-based psychedelic medicine at novamind.ca. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using to listen or watch. Also, if you're feeling generous today, please leave us a glowing review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you like to listen. If you'd like to reach out to us with questions, suggestions scathing criticisms, etc., please email us at psychfrontiers at novamind.ca. Thanks again. Hey listeners, it's Steve Thayer here, letting you know that Numinous offers unique training opportunities for mental health practitioners to develop their skills and expertise in offering psychedelic-assisted therapy to clients. These courses are carefully crafted by Numinous professionals like myself, Reed, Joe, and others, and offer a variety of high-quality learning experiences. So, If you would like to learn more about these trainings, you can find the link in the show notes below, or you can visit numinous.com forward slash training. That's numinous.com forward slash training. The content of this podcast does not constitute medical advice or mental health treatment. Consult with a medical or mental health professional if you believe you are in need of mental health treatment.